Amen, right? And so we love just to read God's Word and just to hear it read, and hopefully you were following along. Uh, before we jump into Ruth 4, uh, we just want to remind you that next week our service times change, okay? And so if you don't have one of those cards in your hands, you should take a picture of the screen right now, all right? And so we are going to be here at 10.30 next weekend. Our 9 o'clock time is not changing, but at 10.15 is moving to 10.30, and then we are not having our 11.30 service anymore, okay? And so those are the two service times that we're going to have for you. We're going to be adding more chairs in here next weekend, and so that issue is going to be solved as well, and so you should come back next weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Today, we are finishing our series in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. I don't know about you, but this story has been a beautiful picture, and it's a beautiful picture of God's providence. Now, the one thing we have to understand about providence is that it is different than fate. A lot of us will use fate and providence as just interchangeable words, but that's not the case Fate and providence are very different, and I love how John Piper distinguishes them. Fate is whatever is must be. I think we're all guilty of using the word fate or using the concept of like, well, leave it up to fate, or it is what it is. I've said that often. Maybe you have as well. That is not providence. Providence, especially God's providence, is purposeful sovereignty. Purposeful sovereignty. And the story of Ruth truly is a beautiful picture of God's purposeful sovereignty in the course of one person's life, really many people's lives. If you haven't been with us for this journey, uh, that starts off in Ruth chapter 1 where we see Elimelech and Naomi, this married couple, they, because of a famine, move out to Moab. They leave the town of Bethlehem. They move to Moab to go and uh, raise their family, if you will. They have two sons there. Their sons end up getting married. But after that, tragedy strikes Elimelech dies while they're in Moab, and then her two sons also die in Moab. And so Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws who are not part of Israel. They're Moabite women. And so Naomi's like, hey, I got nothing here. You need to go back to Moab. I'm going back to Bethlehem. It was nice knowing you. And so Orpah decides, yes, I'll go back to Moab. And then Ruth, though, however decides to stay faithful to Naomi and also to Naomi's God. And so Naomi and Ruth head back to Bethlehem, and it's there in which the story kind of starts to pick up because Naomi and Ruth have nothing. They have no land. They have no one to provide for them. And so all of a sudden, Ruth has to go glean in a field, meaning just kind of go after the harvesters to pick up what's left, and it's Boaz's field. And Boaz and Ruth begin this instant connection. Naomi is super pumped because she's like, hey, he's one of our family redeemers, so this is a really good situation. And then in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi's like, hey, you need to go. He's going to be chilling on the threshing floor. You should go hang out with him for the night. And so they go. They have a conversation. Ruth gets a little forward and says, we should get married. And Boaz is like, I would love to, but I have to do this the right way. 
because there's another redeemer who is in front of me. And so they, and then last week, we started to look at their family redeemer. And so this is the process of where someone in their family would redeem them in such a way so that they would be provided for and so that they would have uh, basically their land back and all of these things. And so this nameless redeemer, we're not told his name, he decides this isn't for me. And so Boaz is like, awesome, because it is for me. And so he decides to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And then Boaz and Ruth get married, and they basically ride off into the Bethlehem sunset. All right? That's where we've been for the last five weeks, looking at this beautiful, providential story of God through the life of a faithful, humble servant, Ruth, a pretty amazing redeemer, in Boaz, and an awesome, awesome, faithful servant in Naomi. When you really look at the story of Ruth, it reads like a movie, doesn't it? You got your introduction, everything's all good and great. They move to Moab, tragedy strikes, everybody dies. Now something needs to happen, redemption has to happen. And then they have this beautiful love story. And then it gets to this peak that we talked about last week of redemption. And they all get married. Everybody's blessing them, praising them. Like, this is the best. It's so great. And then the movie, if it were a movie, could have ended last week right there. As they're riding off into the sunsets, you're picturing some old westerns, aren't you? That's what I am. As they're riding off into the sunset, it just kind of fades black. How often have you been just engrossed into a movie and it fades black at that point and you're like, those credits better not roll? <laughs> because you want more, right? You want something more. You want, you want to know what happens next. Do they have kids? What happens? Do they prosper? Uh, we don't want this happily ever after stuff. Give me what I want to see. You see, a lot of times those credits roll and we're just left there with nothing. But sometimes the next, the next scene kind of fades back in and then you read at the bottom like one year later or ten years later or something like that. That's exactly what this last passage is in Ruth chapter 4. This scene faded to black at the, the, end, the end of last week, verse 12 of chapter 4. They got married, they're riding off in the sunset, and today... The scene is fading back in, and it reads nine months later at the bottom. And so what we're going to see today is very, very important for all of us here in this room right now. What we're going to see at this last nine months later scene of Ruth is that our redemption leads to restoration. And the reason we need to see this is because a lot of times in the church, we talk about that word redemption. It's something we talk about often. In fact, we just sang it in all of our, our songs we just sang this morning. We sang about that concept of redemption, the fact that Jesus went to the cross. He gave his life for you and for me. He died. He was buried, but he didn't stay there, did he? He rose again in victory. We just sang that. And so we talk about redemption a lot. We talk about our need for redemption, but really sometimes we don't really follow through and talk about what happens after. We don't talk about enough, in my mind, enough about what redemption actually leads to. And so this story in Ruth, the ending of it, shows us how our redemption leads to our 
restoration. Our personal restoration, and then ultimately, we're going to see how redemption leads to global restoration as well. And so let's look at, first, how Naomi and Ruth, how their redemption through the marriage with Boaz leads to their restoration. But before we do that, we need to ask the question, what do we mean by restoration? And so let's define it so we can all be on the same page today. But to be honest, if you don't know what restoration is, you're not watching enough Fixer Upper, all right? Or HGTV, just for that matter, okay? So restoration, we kind of have the concept of it because it's a trend right now. Everybody likes to restore old things, but let's kind of get on the same page. When we say the word restoration today, what we're talking about is the returning of something or someone to their original state, Okay, so you're taking something that was its original state, but through uh, brokenness, through age, through whatever the case may be, it's not what it was, and so it has to be restored or brought back to that original state. And so when we talk about our spiritual lives, restoration is, is through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, which we talked about last week, how Jesus is our Redeemer. Boaz to Ruth. Boaz was Ruth and Naomi's redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer. Through it, Jesus, through his redeeming work, both humanity, you and me, and creation will eventually be restored. Because we all see it around us, don't we? We all see the brokenness. We all feel the brokenness. And the brokenness is heavy. The brokenness is real. And it stings, doesn't it? And so all of us in this room not only are in need of this redemption, but we are all also in need of this restoration that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And so let's look at how Naomi and Ruth were restored. And it's very simple. Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Very simple. We see the restoration happen here. So their redemption leads to what we just read in this verse. We're told that they get married, but notice how quickly the author kind of moves on from that to get to the point of what he wants to say. The author wants to show us that Ruth and Naomi are restored through the birth of a son, So their redemption leads to this birth of a son. But there's one thing that's very important we have to see here before we really focus on the son is how it actually happens. We see here very clearly that when it comes to restoration, it's God who enables restoration. It's God who enables restoration. Did you you catch it there? Those words are very important when we read these verses. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Why did the author have to put that in there? Why did he have to say that it was God doing the work when really they were married and then children happen, right? And so why does he talk about that? Well, this shows us That it is God who truly does this work because Ruth was barren. 
Or in other words, she was unable to conceive children. And the reason we know this is not because the author of Ruth tells us earlier on that Ruth was barren, but he does allude to it, the fact that Ruth is childless is a very huge reason why we know Ruth was barren. Because in that culture, children were everything. She was married to her husband for 10 years and they had no children, which means she probably couldn't conceive on her own. And then also we know that she was barren because of how the elders prayed in verse 11. Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses to this redemption. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. Rachel and Leah, we find their story in Genesis 29 and 30. And guess what? Rachel was barren. She couldn't have kids. Later on in the story, Leah has a bunch of kids, and then she all of a sudden can't have kids, and then she all of a sudden has more kids, okay? So at some point, Leah was barren as well. And so why are these elders praying that Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah? Well, it's simple. It's because they want God to do for Ruth what he did for Rachel and Leah. He wanted, these elders wanted Ruth to be able to conceive children so that Ruth and Naomi could then experience amazing restoration through the birth of a son. But the only way that that's going to happen is by God is God enabling it to happen. God is the one who enables our restoration. Which means that God is the author of life, isn't he? God is the author of not only physical life, but listen to me, of spiritual life as well. When it comes to restoration, it doesn't happen without God. In your life, in my life, and in this world, as we're going to see. And so God enables her to conceive a child, and this child means restoration for Ruth and Naomi. Let me ask you this, though. I think we can all get behind the idea that it's God who enables restoration. A lot of us are like, yes, we we get it. So let me ask this. If we truly believe in that truth, if we truly believe it's God who's the author of life physically and spiritually, then why on earth do we ever look to anything else to give us life? Why on earth do we ever say, oh, I just want to live life a little bit? Well, listen, if you have faith and trust in Jesus, you have life. As John 10.10 says, he is the good shepherd who comes to give life and life to the full. Meaning life now and life eternal. And so why do we ever in life look to anything else to fill us up? That's a question you all have to ask yourself. It's a question I have to ask myself as well. It's God who enables restoration. It's God who the one who gives life, if you will. He's the one that brings us back to our original state. Let's look nowhere else. And so God enables restoration for Ruth and Naomi, and he does it through the birth of a son. 
Ruth didn't just have a child. It's very specific here that she had a son. In their culture, a son was very, very important and very much needed, as we kind of saw throughout the story on how these sons become a few things to their family. And so first, it's important to note that this son would now become their redeemer. Look at verse 414. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. This son would be a redeemer in a different way than Boaz was. This son would provide for Naomi and especially Ruth in, their, in her old age. And then also, very importantly, this son would carry on the family name. We learned last week that this son is not going to take on Boaz's last name. This son is going to continue Ruth's first husband's family lineage which means he's going to guarantee that this family lineage continues. But not only that, he also is going to continue and guarantee the family inheritance. And so now through this son, the family lineage is guaranteed, the family inheritance is guaranteed. He is now their redeemer, but it doesn't stop there. These, these women keep praying, and the next thing they say, he says, may he be to you a restorer of life. So not only is he going to be this redeemer to guarantee their lineage, their inheritance, to provide for them, but he's also going to restore them back to life. That phrase, restorer of life, literally means he who causes life to return. Or in other words, he who causes you to go back to your original state. That's exactly what this son does. This son restores their family lineage, restores their family inheritance. It guarantees them to go back to their original state. Now, this is really important that they said, may he be a restorer of life. Because do you remember where Ruth was in, in Ruth chapter 1? Ruth came back to, to Bethlehem empty. In fact, so empty that she was like, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter now. Right? In fact, she says this, Ruth 121, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Really, we can say that she went away full. She had, her heart was full, her hands were full, she had everything she needed, but she came back with nothing. No husbands, no sons, no land, none of that. But more importantly, she was empty right here. She was empty in her soul. So now that Ruth has this child, if you read it in chapter 4, what does Naomi do? Naomi takes the child, and what does she do? She holds that child so close. Have you ever held the child so close? Some people will say the weird phrase of like, oh, I could just squeeze you to death. That's weird, okay? <laughs> Don't say that. But... It's a true feeling, isn't it? Because that child just does something for you. That child brings joy and happiness to your soul. That child fills you up, if you will. And that's exactly what happens with Ruth and Naomi. This child is born. Not only is he their family redeemer, but he's also the restorer of life to them. She was empty externally, and he provides for that. This son does. And she was also empty internally. And guess what? He restores that back to life, her soul back 
to life. And so God enables their restoration through the birth of a son. This all takes place in Bethlehem. So if you're tracking with me, this sounds much like the story of another baby born in Bethlehem years later, if you're tracking with me. The son that I'm referring to is, is a, a story about how there is a birth of a son to a humble, faithful teenager named Mary. And the story of Ruth is really a foreshadowing of the birth of this son whom she could not do on her own. The Lord enabled her to conceive as well, and she conceives this son. And before that all happened, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, this is going to happen. And she says what? The Lord, if the Lord wills. So just like Ruth, how we saw faithfulness, and we saw love, and we saw mercy and grace, with Mary, we see the same exact things, a willingness to be faithful to God. And God enables her to conceive a child And it's through that child that we see how God enables our restoration as well, right? How God causes her to become pregnant, which means that he's coming through on his promise. So when we talk about our redemption and our restoration, we got to talk about the original state. Genesis 1 and 2 is our original state. And then all of a sudden, Genesis 3 comes in and sin enters the world. And what happens? All of a sudden, humanity becomes broken. This world is broken. It's shattered. Our relationship with God is shattered. Adam and Eve outside of the garden, God in the garden, they can't get back. So guess what needs to happen? Restoration. Redemption. All of it. And God enables it to happen through the birth of a son to Mary. And we see that in the Gospels and we celebrate it year after year after year, the incarnation of Jesus. God enables our restoration and He does it through the birth of a son. A son that you and I desperately need in our lives. A son that's going to not only redeem us, but also restore us back to life. A son who's going to restore us back to our original state. This son guarantees our eternal inheritance. This son grafts us into the family of God, just like Ruth was grafted in. She was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. And yet, here she is in God's family. And we're going to see that a little bit more. Jesus is our redeemer, but he's also our restorer. God enables our personal restoration through Jesus. Our story doesn't stop with redemption. It changes our life forever because he restores it he builds it up he fills us we are empty like naomi but through jesus we have life and life to the full i want you to just sit on that for a second think about all the times you feel empty and just like you have nothing left are you looking to jesus to fill that void Are you looking to the one who truly restores us to life now and for eternity? Only you can answer that. God enables our personal restoration. But we also see here at the end of Ruth how God is also enabling 
global restoration, global restoration. Have you ever seen the movie Ants before? If you haven't, it's a story about ants. And this whole movie happens in this, what seems to be this large world that these ants live in. It's pretty epic, okay? So you should check it out. And so it happens, and it's zoomed in on these ants. It's showing all of these things happening. It's super redemptive, all this stuff. But at, right at the end of the movie, you know what happens? The, the, it pans out, and it shows that this small story is taking place in the middle of Central Park in New York City. It's showing that this small story is actually taking place in the midst of a much larger story that's happening in the world, right? And that's exactly how our author of Ruth ends Ruth. He ends with a genealogy, and I'll be the first to admit I skipped them too, okay? And so we're not going to skip it today. We're going to look at it because genealogies are actually very important to us, especially right now. And so let's read the genealogy a little bit. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. By the way, just a tip for you. If you're reading a genealogy and you don't know a name, just say something confidently, okay? Because that's what I do, all right? Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron is the father of Ram. Ram is the father of Amimadab. Amimadab is the father of Nashon. And Nashon is the father of Salmon. Salmon is father of Boaz. Boaz is in our story. That's Ruth's husband. Boaz is the father of Obed. That's the child born to Ruth. Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. So you got to ask, why would the author have this amazing story and then get to the end and end with this pretty boring genealogy? Well, it's very historical. He wants his original audience to understand the significance, or in other words, he's panning out to show that this story of Ruth that's taking place in Moab and also Bethlehem is actually a part of a much larger story that the fact that God is up to work. He's doing something with Ruth's story. And so it's zoomed in the entire story, and now he's zooming out to show the connection. And so what we know is that this genealogy, first, it points us back. In this genealogy, the author points us back to Perez. But if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you're going to read a much larger genealogy, which again, we've probably skipped over some time to time. But that genealogy does not start with Perez. It actually starts with Abraham. And so what the author of Ruth is doing, it's pointing us backwards. It's pointing us backwards to the promise that God made to Abraham to say, you know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to restore all things through you. He's pointing us back to an amazing promise to the fact that the world is broken, the world is empty, and the world needs redemption and restoration. And he promised that he would do it through the line of Abraham. And so the author points us back to Abraham, and then that gets us to Obed. But not only does he point us back, but he also points us forward. And so Obed's the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of David, and it stops there. Why is that important? Well, again, go back to Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew doesn't stop with David. In fact, he calls him King David, and then he continues on all the way to... Thank you, Jesus. 
And what's amazing is that this little genealogy at the end of Ruth is exactly the same section we see in Matthew chapter 1 except for one difference. Ruth is only mentioned one time outside of her own story in the entire Bible and it's found in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy. When usually people just list the, the dads, Matthew lists Ruth. You see, what it's showing us is that God, this genealogy is pointing us back to the promise that God gave us that he would restore all things new, but he's also pointing us forward to how it's going to happen. It's pointing us forward to the one who can redeem and to the one who can restore you and me. It's pointing us back and it's pointing us forward. It's pointing us forward to Jesus, who, like I already said, is the, is the son who was born to Mary so that he could be our redeemer and ultimately so that he could be our restorer of life. Jesus is the one who enacts restoration personally, but also he's going to enact restoration globally. We see in the Gospels that Jesus is the one who he's called the son of David. That's very significant. We see that that Jesus is the friend of sinners, that he's the redeemer, that he's the restorer of life. That without Jesus, we would never be restored back to our original state. You see, it's so significant to see this story zoomed in on Ruth, but then also to see how her story is just an amazing providential piece and a much larger story that contained you and me. Jesus is the one who enacts personal restoration, but he also enacts global restoration. And I can confidently say this because of what Revelation 21, 5 through 7 says. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Who's seated on the throne? Jesus, of course. He is making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my people. I don't know about you, but if you don't see redemption and restoration in this final declaration of Jesus, let me point it out to you, okay? So to the thirsty, that's all of us. Only the thirsty will go seek the living water. You have to realize that you are thirsty first in order to go seek the living water. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water of life, but those very, very, very important words, without payment. That's what redemption is. That's what redemption is. It's without payment. We don't pay anything. He gave everything. It's done. Without payment, he gives what? Life. So our redemption, without payment, leads to life, and that life comes from the living water, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is the one seated on the throne. Isn't that pretty amazing? Jesus is the one who not only restores us personally, but he's also going to restore us globally. And he's in the process of grafting all of us into his family, because he's the one that guarantees that we are part of his lineage and also that our eternal inheritance. 
So the question is, is what is your personal restoration? How does that affect the way you live? Like I mentioned before, when we are restored, that should change everything in our lives, shouldn't it? Our personal restoration, the fact that we have life without payment through Jesus, that truth should probably change the way we live in this life. In the midst of our communities, with our families. And so how does your personal restoration change who you are? How does it affect the way you live? And second, global restoration. Let me ask you this. How is God using your personal story for his much larger story? Because Ruth probably didn't know that this was all going to happen when Obed was born. She didn't know that her and her son were going to be in the lineage of the Savior of the world. She had no clue. And yet, she remained faithful to God through it all. So the question is, is how are you going to remain faithful Because your story is a part of God's greater story. And he chooses to use us in it. Isn't that pretty amazing? And so in order to understand personal and global restoration a little bit more, in order to embrace the wonder, we just want to let you know of where we're heading next after today. Starting next week, we're going to be jumping into the book of Revelation. All right? And so Pastor Eric's going to explain a little bit about that. This morning, I was putting together a Disney puzzle with my daughter, Remy. Here's a couple pieces of that puzzle. And it was a small puzzle, just a 24-piece puzzle, but when we finally put it together, 